dearly beloved, today we are gathered here to discuss the one and only Purple Rain. I'm Charlie. And I'm Corey. And uh, yep, I, I already said it in the intro. It's Purple Rain time. I'm excited. Fortunately, this was a listener suggestion from our, of ours. Uh, Cooper Marino suggested it to us, so thank you for that. It's one that would have inevitably been discussed here anyway, but I'm so happy that now is the time. It's so awesome. Cooper, thank you so much. These are albums that we love. And yes, like Charlie said, we probably would have discussed it sooner than later. Not that we take our time to not do our favorite albums, but you know, we, we like to spread it across. We like to talk about things that we don't necessarily talk about all the time anyway, uh, as far as different styles and, and albums go. So thank you again. Yeah, because this is... Uh... I mean, this is just a go-to for me, certainly, but I'm always happy to do this in Prince. It's our second Prince episode, and funny enough, where it's the follow-up to that album, 1999, so. Yeah, I was thinking the same thing as we were going through, like, wow, man, we're we're doing a follow-up, and I have so many questions to ask you. (laughs) <laughs> just on your take because you you love the purple one uh more than a lot of people i know and i didn't really find that out oddly enough until we did 99 and was blown away by your your prince prowess so i i've got i've got some some wild questions some yeah. open-ended ones and some uh some stat ones that you always yes. have the answers to so can't wait the, yeah the prince prowess it comes in waves for me i'm not gonna lie but it's always there and it's especially always there for this i'm so excited i can't wait oh boy okay so let me calm down a bit here and not get too excited let's take it back so as you know our last album we did from prince was 1999 which was really his commercial breakthrough made him an a-list in the pop world but what was he going to do next? Not just the follow-up album, it turned out. He insisted, no, he was next going to do a movie. He actually told his manager, I won't sign a contract if I don't do a movie next. And this was a bit of a risky proposition because he had just broken through with 99. It was really his first very successful album. So it was a bit risky, but Prince was going to do it because he was determined. He was just going to do it. And uh, he had most of the same band, but with one very key change from the 99 era. Guitarist Des Dickerson found God and left the band because he wasn't comfortable doing it anymore. And in came a new lead guitarist, Wendy Melvoin, who came in via Lisa Coleman. And uh, this begat the brand new Prince and the Revolution. So he fully had a band collaborating with him in a way that they had not ever before. And that was kind of shocking for Prince, who was a control freak in the studio, certainly. But he found some partners with this one, especially with Wendy and Lisa. They're all over this album and the follow-ups. But as for the film, it ended up being a semi-autobiographical tale of Prince's life where he played the kid and it's interesting to me I think it's so easy to forget that these songs were part of a movie because they stand on their own but he wanted them to he wanted the 
album and the movie to stand on their own, even though the songs are clearly written for the movie. You'll know that when you see it, but he was very clear. It's going to be its own thing. It will be the proper follow-up to 1999, as well as this movie soundtrack. And uh, he was not going to have it be a fluke vehicle. He had his whole crew take acting and dance classes. (laughs) because he needed it to be passable. He wasn't going out to win an Oscar, though he did for this <laughs> song score. But he was going to make it passable. And, well, it worked really well. It worked even bigger than anybody expected. It made back its budget in its first weekend and went on to gross over $72 million. And on top of that, it was so hard. Not only did he put the time in with the revolution doing acting and dancing and and writing it himself, you know, the premise and whatnot, but he shopped it and he shopped it hard. And people all the way to Richard Pryor were turning down, taking on this in any level. I I would have to think it would be towards the risque image of of Prince after 1999, of the album. And, I, I, that's the only thing I could think. I mean, he, he's clearly an artist. He's clearly someone who knows what he wants. And I would figure that that reputation had already made its way out into Hollywood, period. But it was so wild to me to find out that nobody wanted to do this. And, and the way it came out actually being what he wanted to tell is another truth to himself or another achievement inside of this whole entire thing, because... Most of the time, it's going to get twisted up in Hollywood. You know, they had a, a, a script written for it, and that got turned down because it didn't have enough truth in it. I'm glad to see that that truthfulness, that a semi-autobiographical piece got done inside of this Hollywood machine, even back then. Yes, and going back to your point of it being a risky proposition, I really hate to say this. I think a lot of it has to do simply with demographics and that boils down to just racism the thought was this is not going to appeal to anybody who's not black well and and this is in hindsight but for me and i might be going out i might get killed for this but whatever i'm i'm gonna say it this is same year as footloose right yep so put the racist aside if if or that racism standing strong inside of a hollywood machine i think would automatically be like We've got the black footloose right here, but it's not necessarily how it was seen. Yeah, and really, it's not actually. I know what you're saying in terms no, of no. a music film, but yes, it's, yes, I do think it's actually a better film than Footloose. Not gonna lie, but well, yeah, they're on totally different levels as far as tone, as far as yeah. what, not as far as God, but we'll get into that a little bit later. You know, there, there's yes. some some things that ring true, but yeah. My just going back to that, it was mind blowing to see that it wasn't automatically like, yeah, I'll do a Prince movie. Yeah, because admittedly, he didn't always appeal to this white audience. There was the infamous story of him getting booed when opening for the Stones in 1981. That's true. We talked about that. Was still fairly fresh in people's heads, I think even in spite of his breakthrough. So it was like, well, what is this? But the numbers got rolled out and it exceeded expectations is what it did. And uh, as big as the film was, the soundtrack was even bigger. (laughs) Number one for 24 weeks. Mind blowing. Number one for 24 weeks. 
Yes. And that's just the album. Just the album. And at one point, yes, he had the top single album and movie in the country for one week. And he was the first person to do that, I believe. So he set the world on fire. (laughs) I'd like to think that whenever he saw Richard Pryor after that, he'd be like, try to put you on board with this one, man. (laughs) You know? Oh, yeah. Uh, Everybody who turned it down, I'm sure, regretted it as soon as they saw how Prince took over the world in 1984, clearly. And uh, this is one of the rare albums that it has an equal critical reputation. Most recently, it was ranked number eight on Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Albums of All Time. Top 10. Get out of town. I saw that stat and was like, man. I mean, rightfully so, but still, it's like, wow, eight of all 500, you know? Yeah, but can you fault them? Absolutely not. I I definitely can on this. Um, This is definitely worth all the hype and more so. And uh, yeah, that's really all I can say about it. I don't want to spoil too much and go too far into it because we still have uh, nine tracks to discuss, but (laughs) it is as good as its reputation. It is. I think. Yeah, man. And uh, yeah, really, with that being said, I can't think of anything else but to get into this one, because uh, a lot of you probably already know these songs, but you know what? Hopefully we can provide a unique take on them and maybe you'll learn something new about them. So yeah, the intro is so tough this week because they're super amounts of tea and all types of questions to be answered throughout this. But We got to get inside there to do it. (laughs) Yeah, and it is one of those albums. It's just been discussed a lot. There's all kinds of info out there about it if you want to dive further in. But the T really, I think, mostly comes within the songs themselves. Agreed. And with that being said, we're going to get this one started with the opening song, Let's Go Crazy. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. I mean, okay, I'm just going to say now, this is the best album opener ever to me. He does it well. He does it. I mean, dearly beloved, today we are gathered here to get through this thing called life. I mean, right there. You can't not listen to that. Yeah. He draws you in immediately, and then we get into this blistering funk rock song. And Prince had showed off his rock chops prior to this, but never before had he so seamlessly synthesized rock and funk and he did perfectly here and uh, honestly it's a weird song lyrically it's pretty off the wall like whatever number one hit can you think of that's talked about a shrink in beverly hills there isn't one heard but the song is so infectious that it just gets it to you and you mentioned God earlier. This song is about God. The elevator is the devil and going crazy is God. Prince said so in an interview. And, uh, but the beautiful thing about the song is that you can enjoy it even if you're not religious or believe in God. It can be enjoyed 
for whatever you want it to be. And that I think is great pop music right there is that this can be whatever you want it to be. And I've just never, ever gotten sick of this song. I heard it on the radio recently on the way home from work. And I just still get that Russian side every time I hear it. Every time. Yeah. You can't say it better than that. It's immediately contagious. And it invokes that let's get crazy feeling, that dance feeling. I'll, I'm only going to go here this one more time. But it, it does the same sort of thing that Footloose, the song does in its just very automatically get up and dance and, and and be happy and be crazy about what you're doing. I think right there with the the D elevator being the devil and and going crazy being Christian ethics or you know you living inside of God that with him saying that cool there it is. But you're right. You're listening to this you take it any which way you want immediately. I, I would have to say that I think you would have to be hard pressed, not so much hard pressed, but looking, looking into these lyrics as we do for the podcast, uh, but looking into these lyrics to really find that Christianity thought process in it, which to me was just another beautiful layer to the genius of Prince, because I'll say that I didn't realize the Christianity inside of his thought process. Maybe it was just for the movie, but uh, regardless, that, that Christian mindset and it blows me away when we talk about the guitarist or even another lady who we'll speak of in a little bit leaving to find God and to find, well, I guess just finding themselves. But, you know, with, with a person that's writing like this, he's got me fooled. I would think it would be crazy to leave his entourage to go find God. I, that come that came out all wrong. <laughs> I'm not saying ever it's crazy to do anything that you want to do with your life. What I'm saying is that it was a new layer for me for Prince and reading that people were leaving to find that was a little bit, I was taken aback by that. Yeah, and it's just such an odd foreshadowing for where Prince would end up because in his later years, he became a door-knocking Jehovah's Witness. So See, I didn't know that, but there you go. Or, or even a really hardcore contrast of what I think the main especially here in this time from like the 80s to like mid late 90s what people thought of prince like a freak show crazy person that was a beautiful genius but also you don't want to get too far behind the scenes because he seems like a crazy one you know that's how i felt a lot of the populace took prince throughout his career most definitely and he was in many ways purposely an enigma i'm gonna sure. say that right now that's most definitely been made very clear. In fact, he actually did no interviews during this whole album cycle. No, I, I could see that. But it was an intentional part because admittedly, he didn't always interview that well. Okay. In okay. fact, a lot of the time he did not interview well. That aloofness just put people off. And this was one where the music had to do the talking and no one else was doing what he was doing at this time. And... Uh, it was what worked just perfectly for him. So, yeah, I'll tell you what else worked perfectly for me: the fact that he gets to stick in him, crushing on guitar, and you don't forget it because it's right here uh, on the way out of this first track. Yes, my uncle actually once told me a story. He knew somebody who lived in Minneapolis in the late seventies, and they lived in the same apartment building as Prince. Wow. And this was before Prince was famous, but 
this neighbor said you would hear Prince practicing on the guitar for 12 hours a day. I believe it. And uh, I mean, it definitely paid off for him. That's for sure. That it did. That it did. He wasn't going to be anything other than a musician. He, it just, there was nothing else he could have done. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that artist inside is going to come out. And when it comes out inside of a person like Prince, it's not going to be stopped. You got that right. No. And it, it continued until the very end. So, and well, it should still be continuing today, but I say it does. You know? I, I mean, in its own way, it does, but I, wish prince were still here that's oh. all i'm saying oh i feel you there that's you what there. i meant he should still be here i heard that <laughs> i miss prince and i never got to see him live so okay. i do wish he was still here but he still gave us this beautiful song to begin with and what's interesting is this originally if you watch the film the intro for the film is longer than what you hear on this album version and originally it was supposed to be the longer version you hear in the film which was later released as the special dance mix and it's seven and a half minutes long and i mean none of it's wasted it's let's go crazy i mean i can always have more of let's go crazy who couldn't (laughs) agreed agreed and we see that throughout this especially because it's a soundtrack album um but yeah, I, I ended up listening to it and ain't, there's nothing wasted. Yeah. It's out there. It's got some cool parts. It like uh, It's like listening to a piece of, of a giant symphony and then getting to listen to the whole entire uh, composition. You know, it's, it's, it's wild to hear. There's a, there's a bunch of tracks. I still haven't listened to the whole entire unreleased everything, but there's so many tracks on here that got cut down that are, are opuses inside themselves and i don't use that term lightly uh you're absolutely correct about that and there's even so many songs that weren't used and we could be here all day just talking about those but we're not going to because there's enough just with the nine here because then this will be like five hours long if we even get into that but actually a reason that this song was cut was to include this next song on the album our track two Take Me With You. This was included intentionally, actually, to put a lighter song on the album, which was probably a smart move. I think this is a good thing to have as a just light, breezy thing as much as it can be with Prince at this era, and a palate cleanser, if you will, after the high intensity of Let's Go Crazy and where we're about to go. But this song, what's always weirded me out about it is it has the most misleading intro. Because I'm thinking we're just going to get this typical 80s pop kind of thing that's like cool or whatever. But really, we actually get a really retro 60s style song. This song's actually always giving me Beatles vibes. And it's funny because Prince was asked about being influenced by the Beatles and he actually said they were great for what they did, but I don't know how they'd hang today. (laughs) So clearly they weren't his main influence, but that This song just has some of that psychedelia to it, but in a very accessible, beautiful package. And this song had a long history to the album. So it is a duet here with Apollonia, who is Prince's love interest in the film. Originally, that was supposed to be Vanity, Denise Matthews of Vanity Six, but she left to 
go on to different things and she ended her romantic relationship with Prince. And then Vanity Six became Apollonia Six. And this song was going to be on the Apollonia Six album along with Sex Shooter. And because Apollonia was not an experienced singer, she got a lot of help from the other ladies in Prince's entourage, like Lisa and Jill Jones, because she needed it. But Prince decided, you know what? I'm going to use the song for myself. And that was what he did. And Apollonia is his duet partner on it. And uh, I mean, I think it works just fine. She does what she can with it. She's not an experienced singer, or even that experience of an actress at this point in time, but she provides some atmosphere to it all and I've just always enjoyed this song I mean if I had to pick a least essential song here it would be this but on its own it's such a beautiful piece of pop craftsmanship that I can't say no to it ever heard I'm gonna wrap all the way back around on you to where you started to talk about the intro you're totally right with me on the fact that for a subconscious listener or even even an active listener, it automatically does a couple things for me. It automatically gives a sense of passion with those melodic toms. And then for a subconscious listener, it also put me right into calling in the air tonight. But like the passion of that do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do um, that, that is inside of this lead with those melodic toms. And I love that. Uh, this intro here is super it's actually one of my favorite parts, or a really awesome part of this album, um, because the synthesizers that are behind it, they start in this like minor key, not in like a minor key, they start in a minor key, and then switch to a major key before the intro even ends. And again, going into a subconscious or even just are our, our wired in this for music, uh, it, gets the, it gives this tiny sense of levity or love out of these passion drums. Um, and then we get the lyrics to guide us through this, I guess I, I would call it like a Romeo Juliet-esque kind of come with me. Let's, let's get out of here. Um, I love the, or the orchestral strings on this composition too. I feel like they round it out and they really say this is a soundtrack piece as well, but with not, you know, without stuffing it down your throat, like so many tracks do. I really enjoyed this one. I, I, I love this song. So do I. And in the U.S., this was the fifth and final single. Heard. It only reached number 25, but it only had a live video. Most of the songs here did, actually. But I think by the time this was a single at the beginning of 85, everybody already knew it. So who was going to buy the single? It was just kind of a lost cause at that point for this Heard. to have taken off. And he was busy on tour, not promoting individual singles by that point. And he yeah. didn't need to. <laughs> that fifth single always falters, or at least it does when we talk about it. I guess there's probably fifth singles out there that have got there. No, yeah. it's a, they're just extending it as much as they could. And what's crazy is because this album was so successful, it was thought, no, keep extending the cycle, keep releasing singles. But I mean, by this point, so many people have bought the album. How well would another single have done? Yeah. I have to ask. I really do. I understand the pressure, but it was probably smart of him in the long run to come out with a follow-up to keep going and give us new songs. Because even if the album wasn't as good or successful as this, the singles off of it were killer. 
Yeah, I'll tell you what, though. And even though I was younger, I don't remember much airplay on this one. I remember all the other singles being on the radio throughout my childhood, but not so much uh, Take Me With You. No, I never heard it until I got the album, actually. But it wasn't always one of my favorites, but it's grown on me more and more over the years. And I just have come to appreciate it more and more over time. So there we go. That's go. Take Me With You. But it's not going to be quite so light and breezy for our next song, The Beautiful Ones. Um, Oh, what a song right here. Okay, so... <laughs> this is an impassioned plea for Prince that he is singing to his woman in the film Apollonia, but in real life, it was long believed that this was written for Susanna Melvoin, who was Wendy Melvoin's twin sister. But in 2015, the year before both him and her died, Prince revealed that it was about none other than Vanity, Denise Matthews, which makes perfect sense because Vanity was a big part of his life in the early to mid-80s period. I think that her leaving took more of an effect on him than he ever would have admitted. But <laughs> she was, uh, she had it in him. She did it. And uh, this song was never a single, but it's such a beloved song. And I can't think of an album really since then. Like, because there's some with, like, rumors. There's The Chain as a really beloved song, even though it wasn't a single. Beatles have plenty of examples of that. I can't think of something since then, like, as beloved as this. Like, this song was well-known enough that it was the title of Prince's memoir. Yeah. That he never finished. What was completed did get released as the beautiful ones, but that, the song still had enough of an impact, even though it wasn't a single. And I mean... Well, when you listen to it, yeah, of course, no shit, it has an impact, because he is, this is a power ballad in all caps, and this might be his best vocal performance ever, just all that soul and passion in it, I just, it floors me every time. It's a highlight scene in the film to watch him perform this, it's, oh, oh my goodness, and Moby the electronic musician actually once said that this song, it, at one point, it goes from being all synths to a live band. And he said it's like four songs in one. There's all this stuff going on. It's so beautifully complex. And it's this just beautiful heartbreak song. I mean, when you hear him say, do you want him or do you want me? You feel it in every inch of your being. He collapses on stage at the end of this song. Yes. Um, uh, he leaves it all out. Whether you watch the movie or not, you can feel him collapsing on stage because by the end, he is scream singing this, this cry out to, to his love, Apollonia. Yes. And, and it's all Prince. Prince is everything on this track. Vocals, bass, electric piano, synthesizers, guitar, the Lynn drum machine, and the cymbals. He, that, it's all him, which is, is mind-blowing to me. But I'll tell you what, great, insane love rock ballad, screaming Prince, leaving it all on stage for Apollonia. All that being said, I dig the who was it for backstory behind this. And I love that you touched on it. I think you said, you actually just said, uh, you know, he never really let us all know, especially because he didn't finish the, uh, the memoirs. But I think this is his one chance 
where he got to really tell us exactly how it felt when Vanity left. And then it fits so perfectly into not only the song, but the the movie itself, because I mean, she was not leaving him for a nightclub guy, you know, she was leaving him for Barry Gordon, uh, you know, she was, or Barry Gordy, I'm sorry, yeah. uh, over at Motown Records and, and, and leaving him to do The Last Dragon and then also leaving him ultimately to find God. It, it's, uh, you can't tell me that. I mean, he said it's for her, but like straight up as I was really going through this and I don't usually get too much into these these kind of backstories, this kind of tea per se, but this was wild, man. Yeah, this was all vanity and it fits so well. I hope it was a release for him because it sure as hell sounded like it, especially by the end of this track. What an epic, I, epic, timeless track. Yeah, and I do think it was a release for him because as we talked about, I mean, he wasn't the most social person. He couldn't give a good interview. That's why he did none at this point in time because he was just so off the wall at times. And if you see his responses, the questions and his social interactions, he, it got tolerated because he was Prince. If it were one of us acting like that, uh, we would have gotten our asses kicked. (laughs) He could do it because he was Prince. He could be a jerk, but- He was one of those people where his story is in his songs. His feelings are in his songs. That was how he expressed himself effectively. He couldn't do it socially, but he could with the songs. And this is the prime example of that, probably. And uh, just what a fucking song. I (laughs) don't know what else to say. And uh, it's interesting. Mariah Carey actually covered this on her Butterfly album in 97, made it even longer with Drew Hill. And I love me some Mariah. It doesn't work at all. It doesn't work. This is it. You can't top this. Check that off my questions to ask you. That was coming up next. I wanted to know straight from your mouth how you felt about that. I feel the same way. I listened to it. I'm I'm actually sort of sad I listened to it. (laughs) That's the one. uh, We might talk about Butterfly eventually, but that's the low point of it. Because other than that, what a great album. But that is the low point. I don't know. Like, why? Don't try it. Just don't do it. You don't redo this. Nope. You don't. If this was brought to me, like, all right, we want you to do the beautiful ones. I'm with you. No way. No way. Yeah. And what's crazy to me is on any other album, this would be the emotional centerpiece. Great point. But it's only the second to the title track. We're we're at, yeah, we're almost at the culmination of act one. This is in the first piece, you know? Yeah, yes. And I mean, oh, what a song. What a song. Leaves me speechless. And because of that, We're going to move on to our next song, the most complex of them musically, track number four, Computer Blue. This is the only song here not solely credited The Prince. Much of his band is credited as writers on it as well. And his father also got a credit because it's based on one of John Nelson's melodies, which is pretty cool. And... He started working on this during the 1999 tour, and uh, it was just this epic thing. It was going to be like his mini rock opera kind of thing, like a really long, drawn-out thing. It actually got up to 14 minutes at one point, and uh, the longest we've gotten released um, in the 
2017 reissue of Purple Rain, we did get a 12-minute version of Computer Blue known as the hallway speech version, which features a lot more and is definitely worth a listen. And it eventually got down to seven and a half minutes, but cuts were made to put Take Me With You on the album. And uh, you can definitely hear where this is shortened because it is two songs in one. We start off with like this dominatrix intro from Wendy and Lisa, which I've always loved. Is the water running? Yes, Lisa. (laughs) Always loved it. And then we just go into a full rock and roll funk kind of thing, like until I find the righteous one. Computer Blue. It's about, you know, I'm lonely until I find it. Computer Blue. Kind of a follow-up on the themes of something in the water does not compute from the previous album, but I mentioned that on that episode too, but I was just dying to talk about this song, I think, because it's Computer Blue. I love it. And then midway through, we go into this whole sax solo that's incredible. One of the best of the decade, and it's just so much in there. And I can definitely hear where this was supposed to be longer and have more parts and lyrics and all that, but even just in its four-minute form, I've always really enjoyed this song. I've never thought of it as a skip. I've always enjoyed it. I liked it when I was 10 when I first heard the album, and I really like it now. I've only come to like it more over time, frankly. And yeah, just what a song. No one else was doing this. Nobody. Nobody else was doing it. What a song. And really, what soundtrack glory as well. Uh, you touched on so many parts of the musicality of the song and the, the way it goes. And really, the, the other side of that is just how beautiful it is on a soundtrack. In my opinion, mostly because of the way it got chopped down. But this four-minute version only has vocals for half of, of this song. And we go back to what we were talking about on the last track, another really great example of Prince telling stories with just his song, telling these story songs, but now with just half of this song is just instrumental, which is is, is mind-blowing. The way that the, they change to the sax solo to the from the major and minor keys inside of the second half too, also just switches us on a dime the way we feel as listeners and it's it's really a unique i listen to this song so much this week because it, it, again I, i'm i can sit here and say genius 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 over and over again but it's more so of this really top-notch knowledge of music and composition that just shines through especially on this album for me um from prince uh it, it's and, and it segues into the next song. It, it's like this beautiful, like, I'm going to tell you where I'm at. And then it just, speaking of, of, of our feelings, stopping on a dime or changing on a dime, it segues into the next song. Yes, yes, it does. And uh, I mean, with that being said, I think we're ready to get into the next song because this one... There's not much else to say about Computer Blue other than if you haven't listened to it, go do it. It's amazing and genius and all that. But the next song, there's a lot to say about. It's our album's most infamous song and the end of side one, Darling Nikki. Uh, It's also the album's heaviest rock song. This is the pure rock tune here. Um, Yeah, this is the first time I ever heard the word masturbating. Sorry, mom and dad, but... It was uh, when I 
listen to my cassette of Purple Rain that I got when I was 10. So, but it's okay. It's okay. I'm, I'm fine. So, <laughs> um, this song, I mean, yeah, obviously it's very clearly about sex and nothing else, but I have to say, it still has this cool narrative in it. Like, we have this fictional character, Nikki. You get an idea who Nikki is just in this song. And, like, I mean, he's going to her castle, and she's just blowing his mind, but it's a blow-off kind of thing. And it's this, I feel like it's real emotions people could have after, like, a one-night stand kind of deal. But it's done in this fantasy to an extent and it's just so well done how he tells a story here and then just the heaviness of the music he is shredding on this song and uh, man you just you just get it all and it's really deeper than just the shock value it really is and that's why this stands the test of time even outside of the shock of it all yeah the the shock value for me and i'll get it out of the way but we might touch a little bit on it after I go through some of this just because masturbates in there. Other than that, for me, this is a pretty tame sexual song from Prince as far as cursing, as far as getting in there on some wild stuff. Um, I find it a little bit crazy to see that everybody went nuts on this. That being said, this song is so beautifully raw and uncut that you said it, we automatically who know who this darling Nikki is, even if we're not watching this movie, even if it's not tied to this movie, it's really awesome. We, we get it automatically. He takes us through hook, line, and sinker, and we're there on the edge of our seats to hear what happens. On top of that, you add on the element of in the movie of who he's singing it to, and this is right out of computer blue, and now his Apollonia is sitting there, and he's giving it to her. And in, you said it really awesome, actually, it, feelings that people might feel, uh, like it represents that that crazy anger of your girl leaving you, and you, you live inside of this, the worst fantasy ever for her, you, you know what I'm saying? Because it's going to tear her apart, and ultimately it does when she runs out crying, but like, he's just inside of this raw uncut dark fantasy and and it hits man they he i think he said or or they said as a whole for the movie that it was supposed to be like a live sounding really raw cut and and that was supposed to be alongside of, of his emotion the kid's emotion throughout this and it perfectly hit it right on the head hit it right on the head going back to the crazy stuff if tipper gore would have never found her daughter listen to that nobody would have even they wouldn't even touched it i don't think as far as that whole thing goes i mean you're absolutely correct and i'm just thinking to myself tipper i'm glad your daughter didn't get 1999 i mean i think let's pretend we're married is much raunchier than this easier easy easy Uh, I'm, I'll be wrong, but I'll just do a a blanket statement. Let's Go Crazy, I believe, is the only one on this album on Spotify that's explicit warning. And two, I think there's four tracks. I might, I might be wrong, but there's more than one track on 99 that that has the explicit warning. This doesn't even have the explicit warning on, on Spotify these days. No, and, and I'm not, 99 is the most popular. Let's not even... Dirty Mind and Controversy also. They've got some racy. I mean, just by the titles, you can tell. I'm certainly glad she didn't hear her daughter listening to 
jack you off from yeah. controversy. The 15 songs that they named in that whole witch hunt is is some are there, but some are supposed to be there, you know, some are on purpose, you know, as, as an artist, that's what we're saying. But still, it's it's a witch hunt. It was, in my opinion, it was a witch hunt. Yeah, it was. And honestly, some of the songs on there, it's just so silly because it's not going to affect a kid like she Bop by Cindy yeah. Lauper. A child is not going to know what that's about unless gonna, they find out. Yeah, I was going to say the same thing. That's or Dress You Up by Madonna. I never thought the song was about sex when I was a kid when I first heard it, but Filthy 15. But yeah, this is the song that led to Tipper Gore creating the Parents Music Resource Center because she heard her daughter listening to it when she bought the album. But it looks like her daughter's actually done quite well for herself. I mean, she's a, become a lawyer and author and all this. I think Coretta Gore's just fine. Even though she heard Darling Nikki too young, but okay, she's fine. So yeah, it, it seems so silly in hindsight. It really does. But there was just that moral panic they had to do. But funnily enough, this song ends with this backwards speak. Right? And people didn't know what this was. But on the tour, Prince played it forward. And it actually reads, hello, how are you? Fine, fine, because I know that the Lord is coming soon. Coming, coming soon. And that just kind of shows you really at the end of the day, this isn't meant to be taken that seriously. He's not really trying to sing like the devil's music and trying to rot your kids' brains with this. Like, no, no. It's, it's a perfect ending for this act. It's a perfect ending for the side. And it's a perfect way for uptight jerks to have a witch hunt on beautifully good music and art <laughs> yes and the funny thing is some of those jackasses probably love the next song on the album because a lot of people loved this song because it was the lead single and a huge iconic hit the beginning of side two when doves cry funnily enough the final song composed for the film slash album Director of the film, Albert Magnoli, wanted Prince to write something just related to what was going on in the film. And Prince came back with two songs, and one of them was When Doves Cry, which, imagine that, be, just having a prompt, and you write this. Like, what? In a day. In right? a day. In a day. In 24 hours. He came back the next day and was like, I got two, but I got this one. Yeah, and... It's all him. He played all the instruments on this one, too. And uh, he originally included a bass line, but then decided, no, I want to do something different. We're not including a bass line. And that confounded some folks at first, but he stuck to his guns. And obviously, the song didn't need a bass line. It's obviously, I don't think we've really lived in a world where this song hasn't existed and been omnipresent. It's weird to think that this was thought of as so risky at the time because. Now this is so well known. It it can be background noise at the grocery store. It's when doves cry. Everybody knows this song. No stuff. It's crazy to think of it. But yeah, obviously it was special. And it was released as the album's lead single. And it was released 12 weeks before the movie was released. And yeah, it topped the charts for five weeks and ended the year as Billboard's number one single of the year. And uh, yeah, this was Prince's first chart topper. And I mean, what a beautiful song. I mean, you, I, I love the melody and all that, but this is some of his best lyrical work. I mean, 
just dig, if you will, the picture of you and I engaged in a kiss. It's pure poetry that he's actually writing here to this. And even though the song's very catchy, you can groove to it. There are very real feelings of resentment and abandonment in it that many of us can relate to. I mean, you, you know the song. I don't need to say it for you. I mean, how can you just leave me standing alone in the world that's so cold? I mean, just right there, he cut through it all and uh, it just elevated it in a way that nobody else was doing. And uh, it's not hard to see why this spoke to so many people. Not not hard one bit. Just what you're touching on there with the the feeling, I mean, and the poetry of, of his writing inside of this, even the intermingling of the parental difficulties and a love affair and how it can be mirrored inside by almost all lyrics at the same time is just is mind blowing. Um, the, the Baroque style synth at the end I thought was super cool and another piece of just where he's at on this sophisticated style of, of, of musicality at this point. But I, I really want to touch on this baseline and, and, and lack thereof, because I just want to reiterate how insane it is that a chart topper 12 weeks before the movie comes out with no, nobody knew the story behind it as far as how it related to, to the movie yet. Okay. And it not only did it just stay up there and rock out with no baseline, but it was danced to like over and over this is a dance club song easy back then and no one batted an eye uh, food for thought though we talk about the genius of of prince and and the writing here i love to think i, I just came across this myself like i said food for thought but i love to think that the lack of or the the subtraction of this baseline that was written could really be a mirror for the lack of foundation inside of the relationship that he's speaking of and the parental difficulties and how that baseline being a foundation for pretty much any dance song but 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 songs regardless without without it being there I feel like it really mirrors or really could mirror the lack of foundation inside of the narrative as well I think that's a really cool interpretation and it I could, I would buy it. I, he yeah. very well could have been thinking that he was thinking in the way the others weren't at the time. And it might have been him just thinking this is going to work on that other level. And if they see it, they see it. If they don't, they don't. And I don't care either way. But whether they got to that point or not, this song is beloved and rightfully so. I mean, uh, the one last thing I want to touch on with When Doves Cry is the video for this because. Prince, for the most part, he had a lot of performance videos still in this era. He wanted his band and him to be the focus rather than like a big production. But this is where he actually did add some production elements with this video. He starts off like in this purple room in a bathtub that he gets out of, which caused some controversy, of course. And then him and the revolution dancing in a white room with the split shots and... Uh, that's, of course, interspersed with clips from the film Purple Rain, but that was an MTV classic. He really elevated himself as an MTV artist with this video, because with 99, he got plenty of play, but 
he didn't really have the production elements because he didn't want them. But here he showed that he could do that if he wanted to, and he did. And it's definitely one of the most well-remembered videos and songs of the MTV era. And they tried to make a run on that being too sexy, too. Yeah. I mean, again, you look at it alongside a bunch of the stuff that was coming out. I'm not going to name names, but... Even his stuff, least risque or or less risque than a bunch of the other stuff. It just, yeah, it goes back to what I was saying and about the way the populace or the way the large part of the opinion went with Prince. They didn't know what to do with him and they were scared of him on this like, ooh, grab your kids closer type of deal when in all honesty, they should have been embracing the, the, the artists that they had in front of them at the time, in my yeah. opinion. <laughs> I, I agree with you, but admittedly, those in the know were singing his praises and yeah. nobody else was doing this. So you, you got it there. I mean, at this point, I think he had more fans than detractors. That wouldn't continue to be the case with some of his decisions later down the road. But at this point in time, he was on top of the world. And it was pretty hard for people to not be on board with at least the song in this case. Though, funnily enough, my father hates this song. I've never understood why, but <laughs> he thinks it's stupid, but he still lets it play on the radio if I'm in the car because I love it. So Yeah, got, gotta love it, Dad. Gotta love it. <laughs> also, what a great way to start the second half or the second side of an album. You turn the album over and this is what hits? Shit. Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, already, let's just say, what a side of an album right here. This is... Uh, hit after hit right here this is really this is that for this so uh and yeah that continues we go into a very godlike song you won't always think of it because it's so irresistible but um i would die for you and i mean on paper this sounds like a love song he's saying i'd die for this woman but all the biblical references in it. I mean, I'm your Messiah. And just really a lot of foreshadowing there because of the God music he do later on, even in the 80s when he did the Love Sexy album, which was very spiritual in a lot of ways. And of course, much further down the road. But this is kind of where it not necessarily begins, but you're seeing some foreshadowing here, but you never would have thought that at the time. And I mean, just what a song. I mean, this is irresistible groove. It's catchy. And it's one of the simpler songs on the album. It's not as complex as some of the others that we've discussed, but I mean, I've never ever gotten sick of this. This is just a perfect pop song. And uh, my only complaint would be it, realistically is perfect i wish it were longer but if i want it to be i can listen to the extended version or a live version or any of that it's just just a perfect pop song and just the pop song for prince is still leagues above what anybody else was doing and uh, this was the fourth single and it somehow only made it to number eight on the Hot 100 and I don't know what you all were thinking. This obviously should have been number one for weeks and weeks and weeks, but we weren't thinking apparently, America. Shame on you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's that beautiful of a song where I'm with you, man. It, it, it should have topped the charts. Maybe it was because it was number four. Maybe it was because everybody was riding on another Prince song, but still, what a beautiful song. This has such a cool feel right off the cut again, because it comes in with this 16th note or just nonstop drum beat. 
with this backing track that for me, like from the get go wants to explode, but it doesn't like it stays inside of itself. It stays contained. And then when I start to really get down and get into this song, reading alongside listening, and this, this is nothing more. It's one of the most beautifully written songs I've ever, ever heard about unconditional love. I'm not even going to go into the Jesus Christ unconditional love statement inside of this, but just unconditional love, period. Uh, a love that you share inside of a marriage, a love that you share, hopefully that everyone shares at least once in their life, a love that if you're a sinner, I'll forgive you his words in, in this track. Uh, you know, a love that that goes after all. This is after the the breakdown start to build back up from Computer Blue to Darling Nikki to When Doves Cry. This is that beautiful moment where he's like, you know what? I've done. I broke down all the way. I'm. I'm. I'll do it anything for you. Like I unconditionally love you. So if you want to come with me, let's do it. it it's it, it's such such a beautiful beautiful song. Yes. Yes, it is. I maybe I would die for this song. Who knows? But <laughs> yeah, I, and I haven't talked about pacing really on this album, but I don't feel like that I need to because of it being a soundtrack album. But again, just in that four song breakdown for anybody who's wondering about the pacing, it's it just goes. It's a story from from jump from one to nine. It's a beautiful story. It coincides like a like a soundtrack should for the movie, and this is just the epitome of those four songs for me. Yes, and the funny thing you say about the sequencing is actually, you don't hear these songs in the order they're presented in the film. Yep. He switched it up a bit because this is the second to last song and the follow-up, the, the grand finale is this I would, is I Would Die For You. We hear the title track before it, but Prince said, no, as an album closer, we need the title track. He makes but, sense. Not as the movie closer, it makes perfect yeah. sense. Let's have the movie end on a triumphant note. And well, it certainly did with the song that I Would Die For You just segues right into perfectly once again, uh, Baby I'm a Star. Um, this song, it's just a boast. He's Baby, he's a star. This song actually dated back to 81. He first had written it, but this was the time that he decided to use it. And it was the perfect time because for the film, we're seeing the kid be triumphant. And uh, I mean, that's, yeah, that's perfect right there. And uh, this is another one. It wasn't a single, but it's a beloved song. He even did this at his halftime show. I mean, yeah. it's a synonymous song with Prince. And uh, I mean, this just what a beautiful burst of energy into life. I mean, this song just will make you happy. It will lift you up. And again, just a perfect pop song and even though it is a boast you can't get mad at him because it's so much fun to listen to I mean, even if it might just be an ego trip for him lyrically but so what you're having too much fun with just that groove and those extended jam pieces in it and just hearing them go up like baby baby it's mm -hmm. so, such a fun song ego trip all you want because this is, we touched about it earlier on the beautiful ones, but this is your way, a beautiful way as an artist to just let them know how you feel. I love, as the triumphant song of this movie, uh, of, of this album, 
just period as a triumphant song it screams triumph if you know a little bit about who prince is during this and, and what's going down for me it's even more of a triumphant song because he's he's in here not even just boasting about himself but in my opinion boasting about everybody we're all stars and when i say everybody he i'm talking about more stay in the time i'm talking about apollonia six because in my opinion as a subconscious listener here jungle love is here more stay in the and, and the time sound is here apollonia harmonies and, and background vocals and vocals period are there everybody's in this in my opinion, as far as, I don't know if everybody played on it, but all these sounds are here. And this is the, it is that boasting track of, of his life because look at what he's brought together. Um, we didn't touch on it, but I mean, Morris Day had an album coming out right here and Apollonia 6, you know? So his whole collective was was on fire and, and, and exactly what he wanted to do and he just finished his movie you know this is like other than than uh when Dove's Cry being written afterwards this was I would I'm a betting man and I would bet it all like that's exactly what was going down or I would love to think that's exactly what was going down in Prince's mind throughout this triumphant composition and the synthesizers I, I didn't even touch on that but they are insane on this insane in this composition yes and that is a good point he really his factory of hits was in full swing he had these other artists you see in the movie and this one wasn't in the film but Sheila E's first album was released in 84 as well we got the glamorous yeah. life this year so heard he was doing he had a whole hit factory coming out of Minneapolis and he was running pop at this point with all that he was running the show he was he was making Rick James scared. I almost touched about the Rick James stuff back in the beautiful ones because I think there's a little piece there, but it fit more for Barry Gordy uh, for, yeah. for me than it did for, for the whole Rick James stuff. Well, Rick James did work. Uh, he was on Motown, so. That's true. It's true. But yeah, by this point, I mean, that rivalry, it was over by this point prince had won pretty square yeah, yeah. by this point oh yeah especially rick, this year <laughs> yeah, rick james had he had his peak in 81 with street songs and super freak it was down from there and unfortunately he was just such a destructive individual that he, he wasn't ever gonna be prince he didn't have that drive to continue his way because he was so destructive and well it's Rick James, bitch. He was crazy. <laughs> but alas, we are finally at the end of this album. And uh, we've come to our title track, The One and Only Purple Rain. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The song that just, it, it all comes back to this one because it's the title track for the album, the movie, everything. And uh, it didn't quite start off that way, but it was pretty clear that it was going to be once it got to its point. So the title comes from, Prince described it as this, quote, When there's blood in the sky, red and blue equals purple. 
Purple rain pertains to the end of the world and being with the one you love and letting your faith slash God guide you through the purple rain. The phrase actually comes from America's hit Ventura Highway. And it's kind of his version of a power ballad. It's been said he was specifically inspired by Bob Seger, songs like Turn the Page when doing this. And uh, he actually originally wrote it as a country song. And uh, he sent a 10-minute instrumental of this to Stevie Nicks, who he had recently collaborated with on Stand Back. And he sent it to her, and she listened to it, and she just said, I can't do this. I just can't do it. She didn't want to write the lyrics where she felt too overwhelmed. And she said, I'm glad I didn't because it ended up being Purple Rain. But it really moved away from the country sound, not because of Prince, but because of Wendy Melvoin. He heard her just playing those opening chords and just got it in this different direction. And him and the band, they wrote and arranged the song in six hours. An almost nine-minute song, all in six hours. And uh, I mean, what the how? Mind blown. How was anybody doing this? And uh, it was originally recorded at a live concert at First Avenue. And it was even longer. And some parts were cut. There was a so guitar solo and the verse about money removed because this song, obviously, I'm thinking if you're listening to this, you've heard the song, but it does tell a story in kind of sweets about like the different things you're seeing in the Purple Ray. It's like there's a friendship gone wrong, a love gone wrong, the family. And he touches on it all and how only wanted to see you in the Purple Rain is the overall point of it. And uh, funnily enough, when he was finished the song, he was worried it sounded too much like Journey's Faithfully, which wow. I can kind of see it, but he played it for Jonathan Kane and uh, who wrote that song. And he said, no, it's only because of the chord progression. That's it. Other than that, it's fine. And it is its own beast, most certainly. And uh, I mean, what can you say about Purple Rain? Um, what can you say? I mean, I was blown away to find out of the country song Stevie Nicks aspect. So much of the good old thing that I love to call art and that I love to call music inside here because it was already so beautifully arranged and so, I would like to think, so powerful that when Nicks got this, she was like, nah. I can't do this, Prince. My bad. Like, it's just too much for me, which speaks to her as an artist for having the, the mindfulness to be like, you know what? This one isn't for me, which is great. Then you bring it back in. And I don't know if it was this quote or the way I read it, but it was like, all right, like at the end of a session. And he was like, all right, guys, I'm going to try something. Let's try real quick. It's, it's, it's mellow. It's, it's not what we're used to. And then you said it. She started rocking those chord progressions off those those electric guitar uh chords and then boom that's six hours that six hours for me is not necessarily like my it's of course it's mind-blowing but it's not necessarily mind-blowing because i've been inside of a creative experience like that where you start with something that at the end of a session that you thought was just a you know a, a throw out and then boom next thing you know it's six hours later we haven't stopped playing this song and we perfected it i love that that's that's what true art will always do is just pull all those especially in that group of musicians just pull all that creativity and prowess right out of you and before you know it you're six hours in on the same track what a song what else can you say about purple rain it is timeless it is 
fully encompassing of the feelings of the album, the feelings of Prince. Uh, you know, you, you you said you said it already. You know, he's going back and touching stuff that we saw in 1999 about Judgment Day and this Purple Rain. It, it, it really just encompasses Prince. This is this is this. Uh, I know I said this on 99, and there, I guess now that I've, I've gone through them constructively. Uh, there's a few, but this is one of the songs that is Prince to me. Most definitely. And uh, I think many would find it fitting that this was actually the final song he played live. Wow, really? Yes. Oh my God, he's such a beast. And because uh, if you don't know in the movie, he plays this and then leaves the stage goes to get on his bike because he thinks that's it. You know, I left it all and whatever happens, happens. And then boom, the crowd's going nuts. Uh, this is, wow, wow. What a, what a truly, wow, man. That, that just blew my mind there, Charlie. I didn't realize that was his last song out. What a, what a yeah. wild man. What a wild man. Uh. Yes, yes, indeed. And obviously this was a single because everybody knows this song, but it might shock you to know it peaked at number two on the Hot 100 uh, behind Wake Me Up Before You Go-Go by Wham. That's and, a tough one. <laughs> I mean, that's a fun, that's such a fun, upbeat song. I'm not going to say anything bad about that. And admittedly, I'm going to say it now. I think that a big part of why this didn't get the number one is because on the album, it's almost nine minutes long. For the radio, they had to cut it in half, obviously. And it does lose some of its impact in the radio edit, because I got to listen to the whole thing. I don't want to listen to just the radio edit of Purple Rain. I need to hear the whole thing. Yeah, I feel you there. <laughs> it, it didn't even work as well as like the radio edit of When Doves Cry. I don't think it just didn't quite. And also, of course, single sales are impacted if everybody has the album by this point. True. Because <laughs> when Doves Cry, people would buy that single. A lot of people did actually, 2 million people in the US because of the fact that album wasn't out yet. How else were they going to hear it? By this point, album was out. Everybody knew the song. But I mean, it's Purple Rain. Come on. Like, that's real. Yeah, everybody knows the song, and most people love it. There's always going to be some haters out there, but it's a pretty universally beloved song. It's definitely his signature song, and the first one that comes to mind when people think of Prince. And, I mean, yeah, that's it. Nothing else you could say. It's Purple Fucking Rain. Yeah, man. And uh, we we did it. We got to the end <laughs> of Purple Fucking Rain. I can't we believe did. we did it, but we did it. We did it. We did it. Thank you. Thank you for popping even, this one on us. Yes, and it didn't even last two hours. Yeah, this is true. Well, I, you know, there's something to be said about when you, we get something like this, you know, we're, we're already raring and ready to go. So, uh, yeah, we, we knew what we had to say about this one. <laughs> yeah, and also at times, if it just leaves you speechless, it's at times, what else can you say about these songs, especially when so many people know them and they're so rightfully beloved? Agreed. Agreed. So, and now it is the question of grades for the album. What is yours? Oof. A grade for Purple Rain. I would have to start it off by saying, dearly beloved, we are all gathered here today to listen and talk about this album slash soundtrack slash journey that Prince painstakingly put together for us. He pushed the boundaries of pop 
and so many other genre-defining sounds and bent them as only he can. From start to finish, not a single wasted second, all filled with so much thought and musicality that at some points as a listener, I have to take a breath before continuing. He takes nine tracks and does more with them than I've seen other artists do with 20. The sheer fact that he included and nourished such a creative collective inside of this process with Morris Day and the time and Apollonia six just showed the creative genius of the purple one. Uh, the accolades that were given to this album all the way to the Academy Awards were literally just the beginning of what this album has done for music period, in my opinion. Uh, a must listen for everyone at least once in their life. And for this, I can only give this album an A+. <laughs> well, unsurprisingly, I have the same grade. I agree with everything <laughs> you say. And uh, I'm going to say it now. To me, this is the best album of all time. This is my number one favorite. I can't think of a more perfect album in my life. This is it for me. I hear you. And it's only gotten better for me over time. It's always been up there, but it's only grown in stature for me. And it's always one I want to go back to. And the thing with Prince is he's got so much else out there. But sure enough, this one album, there's so much you get more every time you listen to it that we just keep on coming back to it. He could have never done anything again. And he would have been a legend just for this. And uh, it's so much of his legacy, but like rightfully so. What? There's nothing else like this. It's the best album of all time to me, like I said. So, I heard, heard that. Purple Rain All Day, baby. Yeah, Purple Rain All Day. What's your favorite track on this bad boy? Uh, well, <laughs> not easy to pick. I love them all so dearly, but if I must, it's When Doves Cry. Are you reading my notes? I literally was about to say there's no easy way about this, but for when doves cry man i mean it's a dance song that balances itself alongside a truly awesome narrative of this crazy struggle to find yourself in an unconditional love for somebody that at this point isn't there and it has no baseline and it ran the dance halls like just such a beautiful track such a, be a timeless piece literally and one that never gets old i know it's been played many times everybody knows it and i will never ever get sick of it so yeah. for something that um the present for me not to be sick of it that's saying something because i know i support i was sick of go your own way i will never be sick of when doves cry heard that never ever oh man ever 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 a little side note for everybody me and charlie do not script their intros or our summaries and it was so awesome to hear you start this episode with the eulogy knowing that i wrote my grading summary starting with that the, we we've been we've been doing this long enough we we start to uh start to fuse now charlie it was awesome yeah, this is well, this man this is one of my favorite ones we've done so far yeah i mean this album is dearly beloved to me you know that so <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So where do we go from here in the in the month of Super Bowl halftime artists? Yeah, I don't know where we can go from here, but um, <laughs> it, it seems pretty silly to even bother. But <laughs> I, I will say we did get another suggestion, but we're going to I think it would be smart if we wait until she does her halftime show so we can talk about it. So that will be the week after this one. I like it. 
And so in the meantime, I don't know what you thought of, but I did pick something. It was a album I was very much considering discussing for the year end 2022. Um, but of course, Taylor Swift won out on that one. I had to discuss Tay Tay. And uh, it's an artist that I've had a bit of a complicated relationship with. And admittedly, I still do, even with this. But I think a fascinating discussion can be had when we do our next album, which will be Beyonce's Renaissance. Oh, shit. Oh, fascinating discussion. Oof, you got me shaking in my boots. We're doing Beyonce next week. <laughs> Let's go. No, I, I agree. A fascinating discussion at the very least. And bring your teacups because there's going to be all types of tea to spill on that one. Yes, there will be, especially when it comes to me and Beyonce because... Uh, oh, I already um, know. <laughs> I already know. You know I have, uh, our listeners know too. If you've been with us for a minute, you know, or you at least might know a little bit. And I'll tell you what, if you're first time this week, we'll see you next week. You'll learn a lot more. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yes. There will be. I'll just be saying the stuff that's been getting me in trouble for a decade, some of it. But <laughs> you'll also see a bit of an evolution, too. So it's all going to work out with uh, the talk of Beyonce. So we are we are doing it. And uh, I am looking forward to that until then please subscribe to this podcast wherever you're listening to it follow us on facebook and instagram at turntables and t podcast until then don't break my soul that's all i gotta say peace <laughs>